So thank you for giving me the opportunity to kick things off. So I think I know what you want, because it's probably what everybody wants. You want the epiphany story, right? You want to know the moment it all became clear, the idea that changed everything. And we all kind of do want that. We want to have Newton under the apple tree or Archimedes in the bathtub. We want to know that Netflix sprung forth, fully formed, forged by a late fee on a movie. But it doesn't work like that. Because for every idea, there's a thousand other bad ideas it's indistinguishable from. You have to look for ideas. You don't stumble over them. And even worse, sometimes when you do have a great idea, you may not even know it for weeks or months or even years sometimes. If there is an inciting event, as they say in screenwriter speak about Netflix, it took place in January of 1997, when I was unceremoniously canned. I was fired. I was sacked. And before you feel sorry for me, I was not sacked in that escorted from the premises, walking across the parking lot in the walk of shame with your personal supplies in the box. I was sacked in that Silicon Valley golden handcuffs kind of way. You see, the company that I was working for, a company that was started and being run by a gentleman named Reed Hastings, was being acquired. And it was just a matter of time before I would no longer be needed. And of course, they called me into the human resources office to explain. And I expected the usual spiel about benefits and severance. And I kind of zoned it all out. And then I recognized this was a little bit of a different story than I expected. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Let me see if I have this right. So I'm not going to have a job, but I've got to stick around for six months. And they said, yes, you do, because we may have questions for you. And I said, but you're going to pay me, and my stock options will keep vesting. Yes, yes, of course. And I can keep my office with my whiteboard and my fast internet? Yes. And I don't need to do anything? He said, well, no, just be available. And I said, well, sign me up for that job. <laughs> I'm going to use this time to start my next company. Now, Reed Hastings was in the same boat. He was also being, as they euphemistically put it, made redundant. And he didn't want to start another company. He wanted to go off and change the world of education as a philanthropist, which he has been remarkably effective at. But once you're an entrepreneur, you're always an entrepreneur. And he wanted to keep a hand in. So he said, let's come up with an idea together. I'll fund it. You, Mark, can run it. And off we'll go. But we needed that idea. And here's how we looked for the idea. Reed and I lived in the same town. And we had been in the habit of carpooling to work together every day. So we just made our carpooling sessions into brainstorming sessions. He'd pick me up in the morning, and we would drive up and over the Santa Cruz Mountains to the office in Sunnyvale, and we would brainstorm ideas, dozens of ideas, hundreds of ideas. And I'd take these ideas, and I'd go in my office with my fast internet and my whiteboard, and I'd do all the research. 
And then I'd get back in the car at the end of the day, and I'd fill Reed in on everything I'd learned. And we did this day after day. And most of these ideas were terrible. It would take very little research to realize the fatal flaw, the why this would never work. And one of the ideas we had was video rental by mail. Big category, $8 billion, and the entrenched player left certain uh, customer experiences to be desired. And I researched it, but back then, in 1997, if you remember, video came on those big cassettes, heavy, expensive, fragile, and it didn't take much research to realize this is not gonna work. And we abandoned that idea. Until about two months later, driving to work, Reed mentioned offhand that he'd read about this new technology called the DVD. It was for movies. It was thin and small, the size of a music CD. And we chatted a bit, and it gave us an idea. And we turned the car around, it drove back down to Santa Cruz, went to a used music store, because there was no DVDs in town, and bought a used music CD. Then went two doors down to the stationers and bought a little pink gift envelope, the type that you would ship a greeting card in. Put the CD in the envelope, addressed it to Reed's house in Santa Cruz, and mailed it. And the very next day, when Reed picked me up to go to work, he didn't even say anything. He just held up this little pink gift envelope with an unbroken CD in it that had gotten to his house in less than 24 hours for the price of a stamp. And that was the moment we said, huh, well this just might work. And a few months later, Reed wrote a check for $1.9 million. I hired a dozen people, I leased a small office, and we spent six months building a simple e-commerce website. The type of website that most of the people here could put together in half an hour for $25. And on April 14, 1998, we launched the company that was known as Netflix. Now, the company we launched on April 14, 1998, bears very little resemblance to the Netflix that you know. For one, no streaming. If you wanted a movie to rent, we mailed it to you on a DVD. It took two days to get there. There was due dates. There was late fees. Pretty much the only innovation was the fact we were doing it over the web. And everything else was simplistic. And at that time, on April 14th, we weren't wondering how are we gonna fend off Blockbuster. We weren't worrying about the future of streaming. We weren't worrying about proprietary content. We were worrying that this little website we built would it stand up? How many customers would we get? Would anybody come? And I can remember April 14th, 1998, as clear as it was, if it was yesterday. We were all gathered in my conference room, my conference room, and at one side of the conference room, we had a table with a computer set up on it. And our chief technical officer, our CTO, had rigged it up so that a bell would ring every time an order came in. And over here, at this end, we had another table, 
And this one had big buckets full of champagne and glasses. And we were all set to toast our success and our hard work. And at 8 a.m. sharp, our CTO went over and hit a few keys, and we were live. And we all stood around expectantly, waiting for something to happen. And all of a sudden, ding, our first order. And we cheered, and we went over and began opening up the bottles of champagne. And mid-pour, ding, 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 three more orders. And we cheered, we clapped each other on the back. We're going to be rich. And we were so excited, and we were toasting and celebrating. And all of a sudden, we noticed it's been a while since the <laughs> bell rang. Is this thing plugged in? Is there something wrong with the bell? Well, in the first 10 minutes, we had crashed all of our servers. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, are my memories of April 14th, 1998, me toasting my success with a glass of champagne? No. I remember spending the day pushing a shopping cart up and down the aisles of the big electronic superstore that we went to three times that day, stocking up on the parts that we'd use to limp our servers along that long, hard first day. And we had a little pool going, wondering how many orders are there going to be? Are there going to be 10? Someone had bet 10. Someone had been really optimistic and said 50. But when we limped our servers along that whole first day, we got to 150 orders. 150 orders. I couldn't believe it. I never in a million years thought we'd get 150 orders. That was my whole first month forecast. But you know, at the beginning, when people told me that was a bad idea, I'm afraid they were right. Because from that day on, we struggled, and we struggled for a year and a half to finally find a business model that worked. But when we did, it really worked. And in three years, we had 150,000 subscribers. And now, now we have 150 million subscribers. I mean, we're on every country in the world just about. We make our own television shows. We make our own movies. I mean, Netflix has become a verb, and I did not see that one coming. <laughs> but, you know, people sometimes say, gosh, Mark, Netflix, you've got to be so proud. And I am proud, but frankly, I'm never sure what to be proud of. Is it that I'm smart? Well, no. For that first two years, every one of my ideas was a bad one. Was it persistence? Well, yeah, I'll take some credit for persistence because you don't keep on trying after bad idea after bad idea without some degree of persistence. But the thing that I'm most proud of is my optimism. I'm a believer. And it's critical for a reason I'm sure you all understand. Because I'm sure you've all had that experience where you wake up with this great idea and you come rushing downstairs to tell your wife or tell your kids or you go into school and tell your teacher or you go at work and tell the boss or tell your employees and they all say the same thing. That'll never work. And then they're very helpful. They tell you why it's so bad. And the worst thing is, most of the time, 
they're right. But not always. Because sometimes if you're persistent and you're creative and you keep plugging along, something amazing happens. And that is why I wrote this book 16 years after I left Netflix. I wrote it because I felt I had learned something about what it took to take a company from zero to where it was. And more importantly, I learned how general these lessons were. That these exact same tips and tricks and secrets were applicable for anyone who has an idea. And what I ultimately wanted to do was to show everybody who gets up in the morning with a great idea and runs downstairs and tells their spouse or runs into school and tells their teacher or goes to the office and tells their staff or their boss and they say that'll never work. I wanted to show them that, you know, sometimes it actually does. Thank you very much.